is uh, my gym bag that I bring to the gym. And it is an awful thing when you get to the gym and you've worked out for an hour and you maybe have been sweating bullets and you reach into your gym bag and realize you forgot things. Have you been there? Where, let's, in here I have uh, my toiletry bag where if I go and work out and I'm on my way to a meeting, forgetting my deodorant is a big deal. Forgetting my hair gel when I actually care about my hair is a big deal. Forgetting a change of clothes. I've done this where I've gone to work out and forgot my t-shirt and had to go to a meeting wearing this with no t-shirt underneath and just had to zip it all the way up to my chin because I forgot a t-shirt. I have forgotten my towel. The worst thing I've ever forgotten is my flip-flops because that's a one-way ticket to OCD like going crazy when you have to go into the shower because Every, no one admits to peeing in the shower, but everybody pees in the shower. And so, like, these are, this is the most essential thing in my bag. And I have forgotten this from time to time. I have forgotten locks where I've had to go and, like, lock things in my car and go in and out of the gym. It is, it is utterly uh, crazy. Oh, these are some of the medals from yesterday's race. That's weird. I don't know how that 5K race got in here, but some of the medals from yesterday's race. I, we have uh, two in here. Uh, one's a third place finish and one's third in an age group. Uh, I beat the governor of the state of New Jersey. Huh? How you like? How you like them apples? All right. So, have you ever? Can you relate to forgetting something? Can you relate to being so frantic in, in the morning that that you also forget something? If you're if you're a parent, <laughs> maybe you have gotten your kids to school, and you're realizing on the car ride to school that said kid isn't wearing a jacket. Or said kid all of a sudden yells from the back and says, I don't have any shoes on. Or, or said kid is saying, I have two different shoes on. Like, we've all been there. My kids are not the only ones. You're right now. Some of you are wondering, is my kid over there? Do they have two shoes? Are they well properly dressed? I've had people show up to church without shoes on before. It happens. We've done that too. I've seen you guys post uh, your Instagram pictures where you're like, hey, I made it to the gym and I have two different shoes on, or I made it to work and I have two different brown shoes on, or whatever the case might be. Or if you're a college kid, you've woken up one morning and said, oh crap, that's due today. <laughs> or I've done this because I really cared about my grades. I've gotten to class. And the professor says, here's the exam. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to fake this till I make it. <laughs> we all get rushed, and when we're rushed, we fall into the trap of getting sloppy. We fall into mediocrity. One time, I, I packed this bag not only for the gym, I also pack it for Sunday mornings because we set up everything out there. I occasionally get sweaty. And I, and I live about 15 minutes away, so I wouldn't really have time. So I don't want to get sloppy with this bag because I dress one way when I show up to church and I have to dress into my preaching outfit, which sounds so stupid to me, but I do it. And so I've made myself a checklist on Google Keep that I check off Saturday night when I'm packing my bag. I check everything off. The essentials, things like underwear and undershirt and phone charger are all on there because, heaven forbid, I show up here without any of those things. And that would mean uh, preaching would get a little awkward sometimes. Uh, and so I, I make a checklist because I care. Because this is important enough for me, for me to pause and work through a checklist and get monotonous and make sure I don't slip up, that I take the time to give it enough thought. If you're the disciples, 
as we celebrate Easter, have things turned upside down for you? If you were at the cross, what might you miss? What might, in, in the frantic nature of everything going on, whether you're the women involved in Jesus' life, the Mary or, or cousins or whatever the case might be, or you're one of the 12 disciples and you're, one was there, others heard about it, they scattered, but, but you were just living with Jesus, like Jesus was everything, and all of a sudden he's dead. Would not life get frantic and crazy and chaotic? Some of you are, are preparing the tomb, and it's all turned upside down. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 20. You can turn in your Bibles if you have Bibles. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. Uh, or, or you can look in the app, pull up the app, and it's right there for you. John chapter 20. Verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she did what? She ran. She ran, and she went to get... Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and at this point in the gospel, if we were studying through this, you would know that that's John himself. And he said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have, have laid him. Mary was, was there at the cross. Things, things have turned upside down for her. She's going to help prepare the tomb and to help to make a visitation. And, and the last 24, 48, 72 hours have been crazy for her. She gets to the tomb, and in her frantic nature, she's there early in the morning, probably didn't get a lot of sleep. And, and she's there, and she sees, whoa, this isn't like it was yesterday. Yesterday, there was a, there was a stone, and there were soldiers, and like, now I'm here, and, and the stone's not, the stone's like, and, and she's, she's putting it all together, and she... She reacts with running, 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 running. She runs to get other people, and she concludes they've taken the body. She, she makes a, a reasonable conclusion, but in her frantic, scared, hurried, confused, dazzled nature, she fears the worst, doesn't do any research. She makes a reasonable conclusion, but she's reasonably wrong. You can make bad decisions with the best of intentions, but they're still bad decisions. She missed it. She ran. If only she had waited. Because what happens next is the other ladies arrive on the scene. The other ladies have, an, have angels that come down and speak to them and say, he's, he's not here. Go and tell people. He's not here. He's risen. Mary ran and got Peter, the other disciple. She missed it. If only she would have paused and taken a moment to, to take it in and to do a little research. She would have understand. She would have heard this. But being so frantically and, and confused, she runs and she misses that very important message from the angel. Check out this quick YouTube video. Snowman. <laughs> I think it's disgusting, his attitude. <laughs> That is snow. No, it's not. Yes, it is. All right, we had we had to pause it there because what comes out next isn't really Easter appropriate. So we we cut it off right there. I mean, let's not judge her. If if snow, if you thought it was a real snowman, all of a sudden that snowman turned 
and did something like that to you, who knows what's going to come out of some of our mouths, right? So, so here's, here's a snowman. They, they, they are walking up to the scene. They conclude that it's a real snowman. Never would the snowman actually turn and do something like that. They have a reasonable assumption. The snowman turns, and they're reasonably wrong. There was a movie last year called The Snowman. Here's uh, one of the, the clips, one of the uh, pictures that they were posting to, uh, to do this. It was kind of in the series of things. The director's net worth was $22 million. It had everything going for it. It, 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 it. it had all this like fanfare. Everybody thought it would be this awesome movie. Here's what happened, though, in the middle of the movie. They're filming in Norway, because Norway has snow. They crushed those the Winter Olympics, and they're filming in Norway, and all of a sudden they get a phone call saying, hey, the scenes that need to be filmed in London are good to go, they're ready for you, and so they cut production short in Norway, they rushed away from Norway, went over to London, filmed the scenes in London, and here's what the director would say afterwards, is that in so doing, they cut 10 to 15% of the script, left it out, and so when people watched the movie, there were major holes in the plot, and so you know what the rating was on Rotten Tomatoes? 8%. This thing tanked. That Siskel, Eber, Bulls, whatever those critic people are, they gave it a 1.5 out of 5 stars. This thing tanked because they rushed around thinking that they were taking advantage of a situation, and it produced something are you rushing what have you missed let's play a what if game for a second what if heaven and hell is real what if heaven and hell is worth more than just Easter morning what if heaven and hell is so real that it's worth you pausing what if it's real enough to give your attention, your focus too, to try to put the pieces together, to try to assume that perhaps there might be more to this risen Savior than just ham on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> what if our enemy, a real living enemy, what if one of his best strategies against you and I is to cause us to be so comfortable, so busy, that in our frantic nature, we are not slowing down, we're not putting the puzzle pieces together, and we miss it. What, what if your busyness is the enemy's way from keeping you from Jesus? And so our, our passage will, will go on. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were what? Running together. And the other disciple outran Peter, reached the tomb first. If I was ever writing the gospel and I beat somebody in a race... I would also insert that so everybody knows for all of eternity that I destroyed the governor in the race. All right? So in stooping, stooping to look in, they saw the linen clothes lying there, but they did not go, but he did not go in, John. Then Peter came, following him, went into the tomb, pulls right by John, heads right into the tomb. And he saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen clothes, but folded in a, in a place by itself. So John, who's a little bit faster, uh, gets to, gets to the, not John Bowinski, John, John, John the Apostle, John, gets to the scene first, 
And what he does is he gets to the scene and he pauses before going in and he's trying to take in the scene. Then Peter, who's huffing and puffing behind him, comes running over like a bull in a china or whatever, comes running in, blows right past John, goes right into the tomb, which is a little creepy. Like if I'm if I'm if I'm Peter, like I'm not like that's not where I want to hang out. But he blows, he blows right in there and he starts seeing all these pieces and he starts to wonder. John's the only one that paused. And as we're going to see in a second, John begins putting the pieces together. I imagine I can relate to Peter a lot throughout the Gospels. In the Gospels, he's like this passionate dude. He seems to me competitive. He seems like he's like, he, he is an all-in or all-out type of dude. I'm similar to that. And, and I, yesterday when I was running the race, when I, when I finished... I could hardly catch my breath. I was, I, I, I was dying. Like, I, I thought death might come to me yesterday. And, and it wasn't pretty. Nothing about me at that moment was pretty. And, and if I had all of a sudden it, no, third place or nothing, if, let's say first place killed second place, out of, or, or second place killed first place. Let's just say he, there's a crime scene. If I had run on to a crime scene, like, nothing about all of my exhaustion is going to help me put the pieces together. I'm, if I had to then go in a state of a uh, court of law and try to say what I had just seen after completing that race, nothing is going to make any sense because I was not coherently relevant. All I knew was I needed a banana and water, and I wanted to high-five a whole lot of people as I finished the race. That's all I could put together. And so I have to imagine and assume for a second, as John's running onto the sea, as he pulls right past, or Peter's running right onto the scene, he's running right past John. He's going into the tomb. I wonder if there's a portion of it where he is exhausted. Jer uh, NorthJersey.com did a, a series of articles uh, in, in the beginning of uh, January and, and February. And they did a series of articles talking about how people in New Jersey are very, very exhausted. No surprise to anybody sitting here. And what they, what they concluded was the political landscape, the social climate, uh, a new governor, I beat him in the race, uh, and, and all of these things, the, the protesting and, and Washington and just the nature of being on New Jersey, hurricane, snow, northeast. They were putting all this together and say, we as New Jerseyans are very, very exhausted people. And so in one of the articles, they gave three different uh, things that people could try to do to fight exhaustion. The first thing they said, which is super, super obvious, uh, was take a break. Like, oh, that's so easy. Just take a break. Like, they write this, okay, so they say they take a break, and they actually quote a pastor from North Jersey who has challenged his congregation to get off of social media for one year. Every high school and college kid just got sweaty palms. I'm not going to su suge suggest that. But he's talking about, like, taking a break, like, get getting off of all this stuff. And then, and then the, second, the second point, which was a little ironic to me, the second point that this article makes was get involved. <laughs> and, and the point was that, like, it's so easy for us to, to have these thoughts and get exhausted by the perception of what is going on. But perhaps if we get involved and we start seeing change, that that will motivate and energize us. So one of the things we do here is we pray for one. We invite people to church. We invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we go on mission, and if we get involved with that, is it not, if you have done that, if you've seen people come to church, is that not motivating and exhilarating? Fighting exhaustion when you see change starting to happen. The third thing they said in this article 
was to change your perspective. They quoted uh, some things that happened in, I think, 1968, where uh, JFK uh, had previously been pushing us to get to the moon, and I think we orbited the moon. Uh, Jillian's our resident moon person. She can fact check me. Uh, but anyway, so, so we go to the moon, we orbit it, and they're saying in 1968, there were assassinations. There was rioting. There's a whole, like, if you lived in that time period, you, like, life was turning it upside down. It wasn't too different than what we're experiencing now. And so a few years removed, you can look back and say, there was positive change. Racial things have, are still an issue, but, but it's a little bit different than it was in 1968, is it not? Things are slowly, hopefully changing. We need to continue changing, but we need to keep the perspective. And so that's the point. And when, when we look at this empty tomb, what, what perspective do we bring to the scene? And what, what perspective in our exhaustion is changing the way we view this empty tomb? And so our passage goes on. It, it concludes like this. It says, And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as they yet did not understand the scripture that he, that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes. So Peter is slow, or I'm sorry, John is slowly putting the pieces together. He's, he's a little bit closer to, to understanding the complete picture. Peter's a little bit behind. And here's something that's very important. I am not a, a Greek nerd by any means. I passed Greek the last day of the semester by passing in about 20 homework assignments that I had not passed in. I got, I think, a D plus or a C minus, passed literally on the last day just so I could graduate. So I am not a Greek person at all. I'm going to butcher these Greek names, but they're important to us. There are six Greek verbs that mean to see. And so here they are on the screen. Go to the next, go to the next slide. So here's three Three verses that have uh, the verb to see in them. Three different verbs that mean to see. The first one, stooping in to look in. Earlier on, earlier on in the verse, that's blepo, which means to observe without understanding. That you're looking at something, but it's not, nothing's connecting. You're, you're not putting it together. Then we get to this next verse, that he saw the linen clothes lying there. And that, that, that Greek word actually means that they're, now they're looking and they're trying. It means that you're looking with investigation. You're trying to put the pieces together. Then we arrive on this last verse, in verse, this verse 8, when John is, is saying, he looks in. He reached the tomb first, went in, and saw, and he believed. That means that, that now I'm perceiving with understanding. That's eodine or something like that. But you extrapolate it out and you get the word idea. That John is starting to piece this together. He doesn't fully understand it, but as he sees it, he understands this isn't a robbery. It's not as Mary said. Because if, you, if, you, if you're robbing the tomb, you, you want the corpse to be all nice and tight, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? You, you? you wouldn't want his arms and legs flailing around. That would make things a little bit complicated. So the last thing you would do as a robbery is unwrap a dead body to make it more complicated to steal it. And, and why, why on earth would robbers who, who, had, who had just did something with the Roman soldiers, why on earth would they take the time to take the face mask and, and fold it up nicely and lay it to the side? They're never going to take the time to do that. They're going in there for one purpose, steal the body and get the heck out of there. So nothing about the scene makes sense. As, as, as John is there and as he's perceiving, he's realizing this is not a robbery. Nothing about this. As he slows down, he starts piecing it together and realizing robbers would never leave the scene neat and orderly. That Jesus is alive. 
So that's, that's my thought and my challenge for us today is that Jesus is alive, that you and I, we need to slow down and examine the evidence. We need to slow down and take it in, slow down and consider, slow down and realize what is perhaps going on. I, I used to lead a youth group, and we led about uh, 40 or so people uh, to creation, which is like Christian Woodstock. And there was, uh, on night three, uh, Wheels was teaching me how to make these uh, cheese uh, hot dogs. Like, he knows how to, like, put them in the fire and wrap the cheese perfectly around them. They were delightful, and I miss those days. And so we're sitting there around a campfire. Everybody's tired. And I was like, you know, I'm going to mess with these kids a little bit because a lot of them were, like, Walt Disney lovers. Any Walt Disney fans in here? Okay, it was the three of you, congrats. And, uh, and so there was a few people there that were like so about Walt Disney. So I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with them a little bit. And we're sitting there around a campfire. And I, I was able to properly convince 20 high school kids, and this is, I take this as pride, I was able to convince them that, that Walt Disney was behind the JFK assassination. And I had to weave quite the road to get to that point. But one student, uh, Travis Drayton, was able to jump into the lie with me and say, like, oh, yeah, like, then there was, like, this land deal and, like, this, that, and the other thing. And he jumped in. Now he's in school politics. Uh, politics, yeah. And, uh, and so, anyways, I convinced him because they, they were tired. It was late at night. We're just, you know, roasting hot dogs. And, and they put it all together, and they say, oh, that what Jason said makes a little bit of sense. But obviously, I was messing around and wrong. So you have people that have seen the risen Savior, and now here we are 2018 years later or so, and what are people saying about this empty tomb? Because it changes everything. They've, they've concocted stories that if people don't slow down and give it thought, they're going to buy into these concocted stories. People, people will roll up on the scene to this, this empty tomb, and, and the, the number one thing that people will say is that the disciples stole the body. The disciples who were trained, ordinary men, they were just like, they were fish, trained fishermen, or they were tax collectors, they were just ordinary dudes like you and I, that these 12 dudes rolled up on the scene, were able to defeat this, this, these Roman soldiers, then they're this 2,000 pound uh, rock, they were able to roll that away, they were able to steal, steal the body, and then they were able to hide it where it was never going to get found, and then here's the kicker though, they were willing to die for a lie. Not one, not two, not three. All of them were willing to go to a grave when there was a noose, when they were ready to be beheaded, when they were hanging upside down on their own crosses, when they were, when they were dying, when death was knocking on the doorstep because they stole the body and they were going to believe in this lie so much they were willing to die for the lie. Is that really logical? What lie are you willing to die for? And so when that has a few little holes in it, they will say that the Romans or the Jewish people stole the body. Why? Rome didn't like things turning upside down. The Jews certainly didn't like losing power, losing prestige from all these new Christians arriving up on the scene. Everything in the Roman and Jewish culture was turned upside down by Jesus. And if they wanted to, to calm the chaos, here's all they had to do. Show the body. Show the body, and then all the Christians have to shut up. And Rome has, has order restored if they just show the body. Show the body. But here's what has never, ever happened. You can't find his body here on earth. Because he's alive. 
They'll say that he was thrown into a common pit. Then why would they concoct such a stolen body story? Why would they guard an empty tomb? Why, why wouldn't they go searching for that common pit, find the body, and produce it? They'll, they'll, they'll say that, that people were so in love with Jesus, the miracles, that, the, that, he, that, that they, they were so about Jesus that, that all of these people just started hallucinating. 500 accounts of seeing a risen Savior in the Bible and outside the Bible. You can look at Josephus as well. Other accounts that, that 500 people all of a sudden all drank the Kool-Aid. And, and we're like, well, but he, he's a dead man walking. We've seen it. But all, they were all hallucinating for the entirety of their life. Not one of the 500 came to one day and said, oh, the, oh this has been a daze. Like, I'm so confused. That they, that, so they concoct this, this hallucination story. My favorite one that has been concocted is, is the swoon theory. That Jesus lost a lot of blood, and he did. He was mutilated on your behalf and my behalf. His back was ripped open. He's hanging on the cross with, with nails in, in his wrists and, and feet. And, and, and he gets a spear wound through, through his side to, to confirm that he is dead. But they made a mistake, is what this theory says. And that with the loss of blood, they thought he was dead. They put him in the tomb. They wrap him up. And, and three days later, Jesus comes too. And he's able to unwrap himself. And from the inside of the grave, he's able to, to roll the stone away in his mutilated body and in the loss of blood and he's he's he, he wakes up three days later in perfect health he's able to 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 take care of all the roman soldiers after rolling away the tomb catching, catching them off guard and 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 then he's able to hobble his way with near nails pierced and and in the body and the side he's able to then wobble his way over to the disciples and say here i am i'm alive doesn't make much sense to me so they'll say that he went to the, they all went to the wrong tomb. They, they were preparing it for three days, the Romans, the Jews, the women, the disciples, that three days in, at the same time, they all started going to the wrong tomb, and they just took the wrong point on the trail and got, you know, wrong location. The question is still, where's the body? And so when none of those work, the last story that has been concocted is that Jesus just evaporates. It is hot over in the Middle East, from what I hear. And the tomb was closed. Decay would have taken place. But wouldn't it take just as much faith to believe that Jesus fully decomposed in three days' time? How do you account for people that say they saw him? And so for, perhaps, if we were to slow down, perhaps the reality is that Jesus did what he said he did. He rose. He rose from the grave. So how do you react? You're slowing down now. You've come here. Maybe you're here just for salsa. Maybe you're here because grandma dragged you in and you want her, her ham, potatoes. <laughs> what are you thinking? Is it a bunch of garbage? Is Jesus just another powerful religious leader? Every other religious leader died and did what we expect of dead people. They stayed dead. Only Jesus exceeded our expectations by rising again. So where is your level of intrigue? Are you living as if Jesus has eternal worth? Are you living a life where Jesus is just a cool story? Or are you living as if he's alive? Or does your life show that you think Jesus is still dead by your actions? Are you living as if uh, uh, that, that dead people tend to not have as much relevancy in our life be because they do dead things and that loses its relevancy? Are you living as if he's alive, as if Jesus has relevancy in 
your life. The empty tomb had so many reactions from what we saw in John chapter 20. Uh, Mary is running. Peter is exhausted. Only John pauses to start and put things together to slow down and give the spirit room to work. Is this important enough for you to slow down and give it some consideration? Or how do you conclude that Jesus got out of that tomb? Slowing down might be a great start for you. Check out this next clip. Anyway, like I was saying, I had a lot of company. My mom always said, you got to put the past behind you before you can move on. And I think that's what my running was all about. I had run for three years, two months, 14 days, and 16 hours. He's going to say something. <laughs> I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home now. And just like that, my running days was over. Now, I have not told you a single lie about yesterday yet, but it would be reasonable to conclude with everything that I have said that I destroyed John and Tyler in a race. I've been talking a lot of trash. Let me just steal this. Thank you. I've been talking a lot of trash recently about these two and how I was going to crush them in a race. Here's the truth of it. Out of about 275 runners, I came in 12th and beat the governor. That's great, right? Like, oh, awesome. You would think I was high-fiving people, best 5K run I've ever come in. Here's the reality of it. Uh, Tyler uh, beat us all. And then he frantically left the race, and so this is actually his third place medal that I accepted on his behalf, and I don't think I'm going to give it back. This is my third place medal from my age group. I lost to a taco in some punk high school or college, whatever. Came, coming in 12th seems awesome, right? I ran hard, and I really do think I almost died. I ran hard. I have some things to brag about, if you will. But my run was for naught because I didn't beat the people I wanted to beat. And so as you run to the point of exhaustion, have you slowed down enough to give things proper consideration? In, in failing to slow down, have... Are you believing a lie? Was I able to dupe you and make you think that I <laughs> beat these people? Perhaps not, because if you follow me on social, it was quite embarrassing for me yesterday. But Peter stopped, and he eventually gets it. And he, run, he realizes that what he was running for was not worth it, and so he was willing to run for Jesus and give Jesus everything he had for the rest of his life to the point of death. 
And in Acts chapter 2, he says this, this Jesus, God raised up. And we are all witnesses. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were all running away from Jesus. They were all saying, Jesus, you're not worth it. Jesus, I want nothing to do with it. Then Peter says, I saw this. I saw a dead man walk, and I'm running my race. I'm running my marathon for Jesus. I have stopped. I have concluded that he is Lord, and he is Messiah. And here's the next step. Repent. Say, your race isn't working. My race isn't working. I need him to run the race for me. I can't bring perfection. Only Jesus can bring perfection. He died in my place. The wrath of God meant for me was taking out on Jesus and it just requires us trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ. One day you will stand before God Almighty and you will give an account for how you were running. Running for Jesus will make that a very sweet conversation. Running your race away from Jesus, against Jesus, will make for a very awful conversation. Your race, your run has eternal impact. You may want the last word, but if Jesus is truly God, he's going to have the last word. So we're going to invite some people that we've asked ahead of time to come up here and stand in the front. They want to pray with you. Perhaps you're, you're tired of running. Perhaps you're exhausted. And this is the time to give it up. Can you, can you tap the person next to you and say, I got you? Seriously, tap the person next to you and say, I got you. If you need somebody to go with you, that person that just taps you and said, I got you, will walk up here with you. Perhaps you need prayer. Perhaps you're realizing, I'm done running my race. I'm going to run his race. So I invite you to come up and talk to one of these people and get prayer in this moment. And as others come down, I want to pray with all of us. God, I know there's people in this room that need you. They need to stop running their their race, Father. Their race is going to lead to a physical death. Their race is going to lead to an eternal death. Father, your race leads to life. You are not a dead Savior. You are a living Savior, and so only you can offer us life. And if you're in this moment where you're saying, I'm done running my race, I'm going to run the race that Jesus has set out for me, it simply means praying something like this. God, I seek you for forgiveness. God, I desire your life. God, I am accepting your forgiveness made possible by Jesus Christ. I accept you today and I will run my race for you, Jesus, with the purpose of you. I give you my life today. In your powerful name, Jesus, amen. If you prayed that, we, yeah, we're going to continue worshiping, we're going to continue partying, and I invite you, if you prayed that, these wonderful people have Bibles and information they want to give you about a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's continue worshiping, and in this moment, if you want to come down, say, I'm done.
keep coming down. Tap the person next to you again and say, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. And walk with them. Perhaps there are more that need to come as we continue on in worship.